Welcome to the Emergent Experience Podcast. I'm Monique. And I'm Satoya. We are two close friends that share a passion for self-care, personal growth, and women's empowerment through honest dialogue and shared life experiences. Thank Thank you for for joining us. us. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, A couple things we want to run over before we get into the conversation. We just wanted to thank you for listening. And also, if you have any questions or feedback or um, any topic suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at hello at theemergentexperience.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We, we've we been enjoying this podcasting journey so far. We're really new to this and we're having such a great time. And we'd love to get to know you all some more. And we would also love to hear what you guys have to say. So Good or bad. Good <laughs> or bad. Like, you know, girlfriend, we, I don't like the way you sound. I think you need to <laughs> stop talking that way because it's boring me. You know, give us feedback. We want to hear it all. Yes. <laughs> Because it'll only help us grow and it'll help us all grow together. So, and you can fact check us too. Like, yeah, so on episode two, season blah blah, you said, but in actuality, if that's not a word, um, <laughs> this is what happened. It is, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, but we love that. Like, we want to, we want to engage in dialogue with you guys, and we also want to, you know, hear your thoughts, whether it's whether it aligns with ours or if it doesn't, we'd still love to hear it. So you can shoot us an email at hello at theemergentexperience.com. And you know, you can even visit our website, www.theemergentexperience.com. All right. So it's February and you know, we all know in American history that is, this is what we, this is a time we uh, kind of focus on black history which is what we call Black History Month, right? February. We decided to do a little spin on Black History Month. It's, we're still focusing on um, African-Americans, Blacks, but we're kind of giving a little twist. We're talking about mental health in the Black community. And it really is important to, I think, for us to speak on this because it's such a touch, it's a touchy to- topic. It's still a taboo in within the many cultures of the black community because when you say black community we're all not just lumped up there are west indians and with the west indians you have several different you have you know you have haitians cubans dominicans jamaicans and then you have african americans who would identify who are from america were born here and have lineage in america before they were taken from africa because you know i'm not going to go too much into history but Within the large, which in that con- I think we have, which in that context, there is a theme of um, there's a theme where uh, mental illness is not, it's not accepted or it's feared, um, and we don't really we don't address it the way it should be or we don't talk about it the way it should we should talk about it, and it's not just. I mean, society in a, in a whole, I think we have a taboo, not just within the black community, but we're going to focus on that for February. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some key, uh, common uh, diagnosis that I see, and if you guys didn't know, I guess I'll remind you again, I, I work in 
the mental health um, profession. I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, this is, I've been working as a nurse in mental health for many, many, many years. Uh, 12 years now. And... And I'm a mental health and self-care enthusiast. <laughs> uh, yes. She really needs to be a PhD <laughs> psychologist because she's deep, people. She's deep. I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> that, is not, that is not healthy mental health mm-hmm. and self-care. <laughs> yes. That's just really good insight. She's actually, I would say she's probably would be a therapist's dream. If she ever sits down in a therapist's chair, I'd be like, this is it. We can do like, some work because you're self aware. So, um, common, very common diagnosis I think we, we should kind of touch on is depression and anxiety. Um, depression is one of the leading, uh, the leading uh, chronic illnesses of disability, believe it or mm. not. And depression and anxiety usually go hand in hand. Um, we'll talk, we're going to talk about, you know. Depression. What is depression? So, depression is a mood disorder. I had someone say, not just one, I've had many people think that when someone's depressed, they usually, it means that they're so sad that they want to kill themselves. Like, they, some people just don't see depression. They don't see... Like, they see it the furthest extreme. Yeah, not in the, not in the context, that context of what they are, who they are, because they're functioning, Right. Um, so clinical dep- depression is a mood disorder characterized by the following, uh, low self-esteem, deep sadness. And I put deep sadness cause it's like this fog of sadness, sadness that, that surrounds you or it's like a cloud of sadness that never leaves you. It's always like an unshakable around. kind of sadness. Feeling, yes. You're just within it. Um, it's all day it doesn't turn off um you usually when you're depressed you don't enjoy the things that you used to anymore so you lose is i put loss of enjoyment because i'm looking at my notes so you have loss of enjoyment but you really the stuff that you love like i used i used to love rollerblading i don't really care it doesn't make me happy anymore or um i love broadway shows and i just can't see myself getting up or I'm this outgoing guy who used to do, you know, go bungee jumping and skydiving. And now it's just, there's nothing. I feel nothing. I don't enjoy it. It doesn't bring anything for me anymore. Um, those are some very telltale signs like, whoa, something's going on here. What's wrong with you? Um, a lot of times when you're depressed, you're not eating the same anymore. Um, depending on the person and individual, it's either... You're eating too much or you're eating much less. For me, I don't know. It depends, but it's probably, I probably eat more, I'm thinking. Um, I think when I'm depressed, I eat less. Mm-hmm. So be aware of those. Be aware of that. Um, and with eating more and less, it's uh, you're clearly going to gain weight. And it's going to be very fast. So within, within two weeks, three weeks, a month, you're gaining a of the excessive amount of weight too quickly, you got to think, hmm, something's wrong here. Um, so how would, let me ask you this. How would, how would someone differentiate between 
someone that is a high functioning depressed person that can that can do enough to not lose their job or to not disappoint people or different things like that. You and still like, feel that way. I what I've noticed that the person will still feel this way. They will have So you're saying it's less about it's less about what they do and more about what they're feeling internally. Yes. Because I will still still see people and know people and interact with people. It's not just patients. I'm not even talking about patients. I'm just talking about day-to-day people that I know, grew up with, interact with, friends, colleagues, whoever. They will feel like this on a daily basis, but they are functioning enough to go to work, do what they need to do to maintain their job, and then go home. But it is, number one, it became so routine for them. Yeah, and they just did the bare minimum kind uh-huh. of thing. And with um, I, it's, you know, it's like a cultural thing with African Americans where it's just like you got you got to bear it, you got to just you got to stick yeah. to it, you got to just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Yes, push through, press mm-hmm. forward, press, press on. Mhm. So, it's that frame of, of that frame of mind where I have to do no matter what I feel. I mean, think about it, people. We were on the fields with sugarcane, tobacco, then it was, you know, cotton. We felt all this and we still had to work. And some people will like to say, and I'm going to say, there are some people white. There are some people, even some blacks and even and whoever non-white, black, whatever your people, whatever race or ethnicity, they will say, get over it. But if you think about the dynamics if our great, 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 whoever, grandparents were working in the worst, torturous conditions and fingers are blistering and peeling and bleeding and feet are blistering and bleeding and they're in pain, they're sweating, they're overheated, their pulse is racing or dropping and they they want to, they just want to give up on life, but they know if they stop, they're going to get whipped or their kid is not going to get Food, or their daughter might get raped. They had to grit and bear, and think how that conditions someone over time. And then over yeah. time, if your kid is complaining, "Mom, I'm tired. Boy, sit up. What you tired for? You don't know what I gotta do. This is what you do. You gotta grit and bear, cause that's what I had to do. So this is a yeah. learn. We get conditioned. So a lot of these things become conditioned because of the the history of slavery and what we had to deal with. And so unknowingly, we kind of pass it on to our our offspring to when you're feeling this, you deal with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, now suicide. Would, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask you, would you say that the attitude of kind of like grinning and bear it or just like pressing through, pressing forward, that kind of thing. Do you think, do you think that that attitude or that level of resilience is almost a hindrance to healing depression? I think it's- And if so, how much of a hindrance would you say it is? I think it's a hindrance. It's a hindrance, but it also may be, um, a reason why it, we are resilient, where we did not end our life 
maybe you would have entered someone who has that frame of mind, maybe they would have entered, entered their life much sooner. What it's an hindrance and sort of spec of depression to, to healing where you could have gotten help much sooner, you didn't know. But I think if you can take a little bit of both of the resiliency and the knowledge and knowing that you can get help, combine those two and you really can heal and become a whole, feel whole and become a whole person. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that did make sense. Um, With depression, I want to put in there that suicide is not always, always a symptom, but it is very a very real symptom. And at that point... You have gone through all these symptoms and more. You don't care. Some people become so disheveled. Um, they're not bathing anymore. You don't see someone who don't. They're not. They might take care of themselves. They may. There. You may see some extremes like that. But a lot of times, people you can't tell by looking at them. You, you see them yeah. every day in school. You pass them on the way to the to the store. You see them at work, and next thing you know, they took their life. Yeah, and you know, some people. I think some people that are severely depressed mm-hmm. it seems like they're also very codependent mm-hmm. and so in their depression they don't share that they're having a hard time or if they do share just a little bit they end up apologizing to everyone else because they made everyone else feel bad mm-hmm. and that's some issues that's other issues that they definitely need to work on in therapy which we're going to talk about later um but when you get to the point where your life is not worth living, there, there's there's a theme here. You have those who want to will com, who will attempt suicide, and they will become successful at it. Men are more successful because men are less likely. I mean, I have to look at the stats. I should have looked it up, but um, from what I remember reading, men are less least likely than women. But when they do, it's more fatal, more lethal. Mm. Um, when it comes to suicide, sometimes you'll have thoughts. You're not going to plan on it, but you're at that point where, why am I here? What is my life worth? It's not worth. And then you have some still in the thoughts where it's just like, you know, I'm not really want to, I'm not trying to kill myself, but you know, if something happened to me, I wouldn't care. Like I'm not stressing it. Like who cares? So when you get to that point, that's when you need to really say, I need to get help. I need to stop and get help. Um, moving on to the next, um, is anxiety and, uh, anxiety kind of, and depression, they go hand in hand because you can have both and one can lead into the other. With anxiety, you have this excessive worry or fear. Um, a lot of times that you think something bad is going to happen. You always have this feeling of impending doom. Um, you're restless, um, physically tense. You're on edge. Um, with anxiety, you really can't concentrate. You forget a lot and you really try to avoid everything. We had a little bit of an audio discrepancy, so I wanted to catch you up on the next segment, what we're going to be talking about. And we're starting to discuss generational depression and anxiety, the implications of that and whether a professional should be able to relate culturally to their patient. Listen in. And yeah. this is a problem. And how do I how do I survive? How do I survive out here if I can't I can't be this way that I was taught. I have to be the next way. How do, how do you survive out of that? Yeah. It sounds to me like a big 
piece of healing needs to it needs to be multi generational. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess I don't I don't know that a kid would do very well after leaving a like leaving a facility, going back into the same environment without their parents mm-hmm. being educated as well mm-hmm. and being committed to change as well. So. Um, with that being said, we go back to this whole thing about trauma and how do we teach kids and come from that. Um, one thing we need to understand that mental health period and treatment, which we've mentioned before, is stigmatized in the black community. So a lot of times we're not educated enough and we use what we see as maybe depression or hypervigilance. We just use it. We throw an excuse on it. Yeah. You got to pray over it. You got to get over it. And then and that that's that's a big issue, the stigma. And a lot of times by the time we do seek help or our kids end up in residential or we end up in therapy, a lot of times it's because it's not saying it's too late, but it's so deep that it's going to yeah. take some work. It's going to take some work. Yeah, some serious, serious uprooting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the truth. And I, it, I just, it makes me think about my own story mm-hmm. as my own frame of reference for trauma and um, now having Zoe and having like the next generation that I'm responsible for and responsible to not continue patterns, like unhealthy patterns, you know, like when I first had her, it just made me think like, well, how, what do I have to do? What practical steps do I have to make in order to keep her from experiencing the same trauma that I did. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing I realized as a parent is that ultimately, no matter what I tell her, she's going to respond to how I treat her and she's going to respond to what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I've been learning just how to... um, how to basically work on self-healing because when it comes from a true place of me becoming whole, then I won't continue the patterns that I grew up with. Hmm. I won't, um, I won't treat her as a possession or I won't, um, disrespect her or, um, show no regard for her. Um, but that that's that's been my own personal experience with trauma and the whole multi generational mm-hmm. portion. Like I think it's so imper- so imperative that parents heal. Absolutely, I think that's exactly what needs to happen. A lot of times we're trying to help the child, not and the parent is one that really needs the support and needs to have an outlet and needs to go through their own journey and healing absolutely right that's yeah a lot of because i mean ultimately parents parents are the ones that control the environment for the child Mm -hmm. they control it they create it and they put the standard they they are the ones who create the standards of what in which a child should model yeah um then some little facts i want to kind of throw out there um and something that's very important that we should know that uh adults Black African-Americans are 20% more likely to report serious psychological distress than adult whites. Um, Adult Black 
I put adult black or African Americans. It depends what you like. Um, below are living below poverty levels, and they are three times more likely to report serious psychological distress than those living living above poverty. Of course, you got to worry about food, heat, how your kids gonna be dressed, how like how you gonna get the next meal. You know, some people like oh food stamps, honey. Sometimes food stamps does not give enough depending what state you are or what the situation is. And sometimes they'll tell you you make too money, much money for food stamp, but all your money is just enough to pay your bills, to pay, get a roof over your head. And then you're really trying to figure out what you're going to do. Um, African-Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness, hopelessness, worthlessness than adult whites. Um, but we're more likely to ignore it or we, we think we kind of normalize it. Um, we're also less likely than whites to die from suicide as teenagers. But African-American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than whites. So that's interesting. Um, as you can see, there's been a lot of suicides, suicides happening in, 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 our, in our community. You see it on the news. And it's, it's really something that could have been avoided. Um, and an issue that I find is that blacks make less than 2% of the American Psychological Association. So not only that, that's social workers, that's nurse, psychiatric nurse practitioners, um, that's psychiatrists, and like I said, psychologists. We only make up about 2%, maybe three. Because, you know, mm. we only make up that much. So there's such a little amount of us to go around to be able to help other people of color. And not saying someone who is of another color can't help, but of course you can. But there also sometimes there's cultural context that if someone feels, if someone, if you are of, if you're not of color and you tell me that the cultural context of someone, the cultural background is not important, then you are definitely not a good therapist for me. Oh, it's, it's, I think it's so imperative that a therapist can relate culturally. Mm-hmm. To the patient because I mean it makes sense if if there isn't enough if there isn't enough black representation among the psychological association I would think that black people probably wouldn't want to show up mm -hmm. the words are shame embarrassed though they don't believe and you know what we've been through so much stuff in history that there's there's just so many reasons like yeah, I'm just being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. How about making up diagnoses such as, let me see if I can pronounce it properly, diesthesia, athopica, whatever that means. I'll let, let you guys see the link and everything. But Dr. Cartwright gave slaves this diagnosis, which means it's a mental illness, it's a mental illness that explains the laziness of slaves and drapedomania was a mental disorder that led a slave to fleeing captivity. So you gave us diagnosis thinking that we were wrong for staying in captivity and being beaten and raped and treating like cattle. So that that that's what that's that's the stuff we had to deal with in history. We're inhuman, we shouldn't deal with this, we should push through. If you think about slavery, you have beaten, bruised, scorned, blisters on your feet, blisters on your hand. You had to work from dawn to to the break to the, all the way to the end of the night, and they didn't care if you were depressed, they didn't care if you were sad, they didn't care. You had to keep pushing through. So we have right. this, we have this push through 
mentality. Keep on pushing. Keep on doing it. You strong. You know what? Sometimes you don't have to be strong. Sometimes you got to sit back and say, you know what? I'm not strong right now. And I need some help. Right. That's all that's about. So, um... And I think, I think just based off of that alone, I think it would be helpful if we start to redefine our belief about strength absolutely, and what strength looks like. It's not weakness to cry and it's not weakness to express a need for help. It's not weakness to talk about your express feelings. pain and yeah. to talk about feelings exactly. like that's not weakness. As a matter of fact, that is strength because of the vulnerability that it takes to even do that. Absolutely. Talk about it. Man, I need to talk. I think there's one thing my mom, and I'm sure you guys are going to, I'm sure I said this before. My mom was like, oh my gosh, just you just love to tell people your business. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know what? Your business. <laughs> you know what? They come from old school where you keep everything quiet and shut down, but I can't. Right. If I'm going through something, I'm going to kick and scream. You're going to hear me. I'm going through something right now. I'm not trying to be that person where everything is sucked and bottled in because I know how it was when I was a teenager and it took over. So I will never do that again. So that's pretty much this is pretty much what we want, how we're feeling right now. I think it's important for you guys to think, sit back, think about your trauma, your own trauma. And if you're not a person of color listening, Think about your trauma and how it affects you. And if you have friends, have a conversation. Like, what what was your childhood like? How do you think it affects you? And, you know, you do have friends. We all have a friend that may be struggling. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, I know you're struggling. You want to talk about it? If not, let's go to someone who can help you. Shoot, I'll go with you to your first therapy session. And I'm that right. kind of person. Like, I will do that. So... Is nothing wrong with that. Let's keep the communication open. Let's be accepting, not ju- non-judgmental about this. And I think we can be a totally better place as a people, as a community, and as in, a, in society in general. So. Uh, we talked quite a bit about um, some topics that could be triggering. And so if you feel like you need to talk to someone, if you feel like um, you're lonely or you're having a hard time, just go ahead and call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. You'll also find the phone number in the show notes. And um, before we wrap up, we just want to tell you thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for listening. Thank you. You know, we're very new to navigating this whole podcast world. Yeah. So and we don't even know um, we want to hear what we want to say or what we're saying. And we're figuring it out. We would love to hear your opinions, good and bad. We would love to hear your comments, questions, if you have any particular topics that you'd love to um you'd love for us to discuss and you'd love to um give us some feedback on we'd love to hear that you can send us an email at hello at the emergent experience.com and with that we're going to end with our quote trauma creates change you don't choose healing is about creating change you do choose that's a quote from michelle rosenthal md <laughs> i had to do that because i had to google who she was she's doing some good she's doing some good work so thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Until next time. Bye-bye.